0: G'day, and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers, and moves in livestock, grain, oilseed, and fibre markets. My name is Ethan Woolley, and thanks for listening to episode 260. Market corrections, further conflicts, and El Nino breaking rain were just some of the major events in the last quarter of 2023 for commodity markets. The drivers and consequences of a busy quarter are all summarised in the latest Mercado quarterly report, which is released this week. In today's episode, I'm joined by Olivia Agar and Robert Herman of Mercado to discuss some of the key insights from the report for quarter four of 2023. To be added to the quarterly report mail list, please reach out to us via email on ask@macardo.com.au. I'll now hand over to Mercado team to run through some highlights of the report. So uh, we've just come out of a lot of the winter harvest, live, and there's been a lot of important things happening in the grain market. What have been the major influences on the grain market in quarter four and how are they looking as we move into next year?
1: Yeah, the overarching story is pretty similar than what we've been talking about um, over, over the recent quarters. You know, there's still... Plenty of supply across grain and oilseed markets has kept a bit of pressure on there and, and pretty much kept it range-bound. So if we look at the prices for the major commodities in the last quarter, they have, you know, had had largely the same influences over, over the last few years, like geopolitical factors, bad weather, global economics all playing their part. But The other one we did see in quarter four um, especially true for wheat has been the influence of technical traders or, or speculators in the market trying to clip their tickets. So that was something, something new in there. But, you know, there have been plenty of minor production issues around the globe, none really big enough to stimulate that real supply-driven rally like we saw at the start of the war in Ukraine. So if we look at where prices were across quarter four, Uh, At a local level, wheat, canola and barley, they were all sitting sort of slightly above the five-year average levels. Interestingly, though, when we look at the stocks to use figures, they really tell us that supply is tight enough in the major exporter regions, which should have been providing a degree of support. But then you take into account the fact that Russia's just been pumping out exports to the tune of, you know, four to five million metric tonnes per month. Um, it's really just made it hard for the other origins to get a look in. So all of the three major markets have been looking pretty heavy, hovering at the lower end of their recent trading ranges. And if we sort of look to, to market sentiment sort of in the early parts of 2024, it is looking pretty similar to where we've seen it. There is a bit of an argument around the potential for lower production next season, but the market's just not interested in trading anything unless it's front and center at the moment.
0: And I guess something that is uh, influencing what the market and what the the buyers and sellers want to see is how freight is being handled. We are hearing reports of freight issues on multiple fronts. Uh, What are some of those issues and are they likely to impact commodities into the coming months?
1: Yeah, good question. And it's rapidly evolving, Ethan. So we've seen uh, an uptick uptick in aggression in the Red Sea. And the Red Sea is a really important maritime corridor. It links the Mediterranean via the Suez Canal. Um, There have been multiple attacks on ships reported, which is forcing ships to reconsider their routes. So as a result of that, we've seen insurance rates for bulk vessels travelling through that region just skyrocket. Some insurers are already saying... Um, you know, US and UK flagged vehicles can't get coverage for that Red Sea. So they're looking at alternatives to pass around the ca- Cape of Good Hope, which can add between seven to 15 extra days in transit. So some major shipping lines have altogether ceased using that route through the Red Sea. So as far as what that means for Australian growers, uh, on one hand, you know, the export of canola to Europe could be impacted. Um, if if carriers are choosing to go around the long way. Uh, one report from Robert Bank recently said that the added distance and time would add up to US $1 million per voyage for a bulk carrier. So that would equate to about $25 Australian a tonne for canola, assuming it's a 60 kmt vessel. So there's an impact there. We also know we source a lot of our FERT out of the Middle East and Morocco. But even just beyond those directly impacted trading routes, the disruption is flowing through around the world. So that is having an impact. And then we've also got the local issues to deal with as well. So you would have heard about the DP world port disputes. There are reports that the backlog of containers around Australian ports is going to take months to recover from. So we are starting to see delays, longer lead times on imports, which is likely to impact in the months ahead as well
0: our uh, supply up in container ships as well, just uh, more supply issues um, impacting commodity markets.
1: Yeah, like there hasn't been enough uh, chaos and disrupt- disruption there in the past few years. But <laughs> let's switch over to cattle now, Ethan. I really want to hear what you have to say about the cattle market. So the story has been improving prices in December. Is that recent performance a sign of normalising local demand, do you think? Or is it Other other impacts to
0: play there. Uh, Well, we certainly hope so, Olivia, that there is improvement in the long term and that normalising local demand. And uh, there are some underlying drivers that would suggest that local demand is improving and potentially normalising. The December data showed that after the uptick in pricing, um, yarding's exploded, so there was a rush of cattle to the yards. But even with that influx, prices continued to improve throughout December and have done so into January. So we had reports and the data show that restocker and feeder buyers were back to throwing their hat in the ring. So the confidence is back with those buyers, which is um, definitely more of a normalisation to the bidding process at the yards. And cattle prices are still relatively low by historical standards and the affordability of those restocker spec cattle is going to entice those restockers into the market in the medium term. And now that the seasonal conditions have turned favourable, um, buyers have been sort of quick to jump to secure cattle in a rising market. So um, it looks to see that there's more pricing improvement to come. Um, the Young cattle prices are in line with the most recent destocking phase. However, it's unlikely that we will see the prices double like they did. There isn't scarcity of cattle like that driving the demand like it did during the liquidation. But because the gap between beef and cattle values currently in this rising market, um, it informs us the buyers are confident in their feed and that if the forecast remains that way, that there is some upside in cattle to come.
1: You mentioned there about the scarcity of cattle. So is, is the supply glut that we saw last year contributing to the recent price trend?
0: There's definitely a contribution, but I wouldn't suggest it's the fundamental cause of what we're seeing play out in December and January. Um, In 2023, we did see a rise in slaughter numbers and a reduction in slaughter weights, but it just doesn't get close to what we saw during the liquidation periods in that 2018 to 2020 period. Um, The female slaughter ratio, 47% is the level where we see the herd begin to change and towards that state of decline. Uh, The most recent data we have for 2023 in September, it was at 49%, so it was heading that way, but that... Liquidation period was averaging 54% female slaughter ratio. So um, we're off those highs that see that switch from demand to supply happen. Um, but as processes begin to chase some heavier finished cattle, as so we progress into 2024 and they look to meet sort of the retail demand, um, a lack of finished cattle could lend support to sale yard pricing. Um, But in 2024, supply is unlikely to be the lead driver of pricing. It's more likely we reach some sort of steady herd state for the coming year, all else being equal, uh, weather forecasts included. Um, And a boost to pricing is really going to hinge on the global economy improving and the developed world beginning to boost that um, higher end beef um, purchasing to sort of pull pricing up.
1: And what about export markets, Ethan? Are you seeing that sort of momentum in improving prices translate through there?
0: Um, It's early in the piece, but the the data shows us that December was a really strong month for beef exports. Um, The US monthly beef imports from Australia for December, it was their highest figure since 2015. So really upping the ante. And Total 2023 beef exports to all destination increased 26% year-on-year. Year. South Korea and China also improved year-on-year. Year. So some really promising signs that there is still that demand there. Um, and whilst a lot of that has been contributed to low-value beef, um, there looks to be a platform to take advantage of any improvement in high-end retail demand moving forward. Um, we're seeing feeder buyers return to the yards And they've had headwinds of strong grain prices, lower finished cattle prices for much of last year, rising operating costs. But uh, the the data shows us that the cattle on feed numbers are are at near record highs. So if they're utilising more cattle on feed and the capacity keeps increasing, um, it looks to to me that the supply chain is really confident in their ability to to ride the highs and lows. And that should allow um, the supply chain to take advantage of um, the turn in our preferred export markets when the economy uh, begins to turn around.
1: Yes, yeah, some, that's some great news there. And you know, we've all all been so glad to see the turnaround in the market conditions, which have also applied to lamb as well. So I better hand it back over to you to to get the rundown on what's been happening with lamb.
0: Yes, so it's uh, it's always good to talk good news and. Uh, I've got Rob Herman here to talk us through the the latest that's happening in the land markets. So, a lot of talk has been saying that the recovery has begun with land markets. So what, what would you say to, to that, Rob?
2: Well, um, yeah, thanks for giving me the good uh, the good news story. It's uh, it is has been a good news story. But if you remember back to our last quarterly report, um, we were while we were sort of hopeful or even optimistic to some degree. We looking back you know that was the bottom of the market and that was in September um, and it wasn't until uh, it started to uh, bottom out there but it was in late November that the market really turned a corner and uh, and what we saw was that um, you know the price just jumped and I noticed that in the um in the quarterly report uh, the from the start of October the eastern States trade lamb indicator rallied from four hundred and thirty two cents to six hundred and fifteen cents. That's a 42% lift. And that's, um, I think, I don't think we would have been confident enough to predict that at the time, but it really was a good shot in the arm, especially when we had that big volume of lamb coming through. You know, it's a very seasonal product lamb. Uh, it comes at a rush. Uh, December is a key month. And uh, at that stage, lamb prices found some good support.
0: And, the seasonal demand for, for lamb is a very important thing to realise when we account for these changes in pricing. Will that impact sort of the export levels we see for lamb coming out of Australia?
2: Uh, yes, it definitely has already. and um, And it was the exporters, when you think about it, it was the exporters who ramped up uh, production at that stage, through as as we needed, we really needed them to ramp continue to ramp up production, and we have said a couple of times on our reports that uh, you know they're to be commended for um, for how they've been able to deal with this supply that was coming through, but um, you know to be fair, I guess the, there was a real incentive for them to build their productivity up at the slaughterhouse because the margins were very good and the demand was very good. And we had reports coming in that um, they were reporting that these cheaper prices had actually um, brought back customers that they had lost previously through the, through the very high prices. And, and they were actually filling those, those needs. And, and that was sort of one of the strong drivers of what pushed that market up.
0: It definitely push the, the market up and it, also pushed up the the levels going through the processes in terms of slaughter. Um, what sort of I guess uptick in in the slaughter did we see with lambs and also also mutton for the year?
2: Well, it, lamb, you know, for the for the nine month period that we had figures, um, the slaughter was up hundred and sixty five. uh sorry, sixteen and um, a half percent, or one hundred or million lambs, and you know that's quite significant, especially when we and knew that we had a fairly big lamb crop coming through. Part of that was driven by uh, a lot of the lighter lambs being sent to slaughter this year and not out to the paddock. And there wasn't that confidence or the demand from producers to turn light lambs out. And and those lambs got to a price point where they were really attractive to go back into markets. And I noticed in the report there was almost a million extra lambs sent into into what we call the MENA markets, Middle East and North Africa. Uh, they're typically a light lamb or and some people recognize them as being called a bag lamb. Uh, that was a great uh, filler for our markets and thank goodness that they were there. Um, we have seen in recent times though, Ethan, that um, they've sort of been competing now uh, or having strong competition coming from the traders, the backgrounders, the uh, the restockers are getting in there and, and competing with them. Uh, the other one, uh, well, you know, mutton's not on the same level of numbers as lamb at this time of the year, but the uh, the sheep throughput or the mutton throughput was up 34% as well. So that was quite a bit of extra volume that, um, you know, was getting uh, processed. Uh, it was um, in a very orderly way, you'd have to say, and it was able to absorb that increased capacity through that period.
0: And it's a good thing that uh, we were able to absorb that throughput and uh, I guess with those meaner markets coming back into the forum there was, there was margin there what do you think will be the impact on numbers for next year because of what transpired with these lighter lambs exiting the system? Uh, are we going to see fewer lambs in the next year to come?
2: Well it's um, <laughs> you certainly talk about mixed signals this year uh, Ethan you know the, the the poor old lamb producer was getting a, on one hand was getting a signal that nobody wanted their the land price was dropping and then all of a sudden it rallies 40 odd percent. Um, but MLA's probably their um, MLA and AWI do a survey um that was conducted in October. Um the the bottom line is that they're predicting that the the um the flock has declined by about 2.6 percent year on year. Um, you know, that's a case of always extra um mutton being slaughtered. Um but interestingly that um You know, 34% of those respondents which uh, reported they would be increasing the lamb flock over next year, but that was down from 46% in the previous survey, and 44% indicated their intention was to downsize, and that was up from 26%. So the sentiment in that report, and we've got to have a look at when that was was taken, was probably at the worst time. The sentiment then was that, um, you know, there's going to be less lambs. Uh, it'll be interesting to see now, you know, we've we've got a lot of feed out there, good season, the conception rates would be much better on the back of these, this rain and extra feed we've had than what it was looking like back in November. Um, it might be, it, it'll be surprising, I think, if we're very much lower than last year, but it's also based on, you know, the amount of mutton that's been slaughtered and the uh, turnoff that it's unlikely we'll see a lot more than next year, regardless of what prices do going forward.
0: And I, I think that's a really important point to make, that this data has come out, and now we've seen the fortunes change so dramatically with rainfall on the east coast. And I guess, Rob, that brings me along to wool. And will the rain improve the prospect of supply for wool into 2024?
2: Yes, it does. And it does it on two fronts. It improves the quality of the wool. So we end up with, uh, you know, a a better tensile strength or less tender wool when the season's good. And it also improves fleece weights. Uh, Of course, the other big factor in how much supply we'll have is is how many sheep are out there. And as we said, back in uh, October, November, it was looking like we might be, you know, the flock might be in serious decline. We don't think that's the case now. So Rain has improved the prospects for supply. There's no doubt about that.
0: We've spoken about a lot on the about how the fine wool premiums are, are likely to narrow to the broader wool. Um, what can you tell us about the what's happening with the the broader wool, that sort of twenty-one micron range wool?
2: Well, the twenty-one micron range is is just in this amazing range, uh trading range. And I noticed in the quarterly report, um, it was stated that it's, you know, hasn't been like that for 20 years or two decades. Um I think that's a good thing because uh, the longer it stays in a trading range, um, the stronger the move is. And if you say, which way is the move going to be when it comes? Because we're selling so much wool now, we're clearing so much wool out. There's not the stocks being built up. um, Any movement is likely to be upwards. You know, any downward move would mean that, you know, probably supply will dry up a bit in the markets. And we don't and we think that will support prices. So, um, but the fine wool also benefits from these good seasons because it means there's less fine wool produced, so you don't have that drought affected wool, and the genuine fine wool producers, so um, they do really well. And and it's interesting to look at the wool that's finer than fifteen microns has been particularly strong, especially from those areas where they are, um, you know, really skilled producers of high quality fibre.
0: And for those high quality producers and that high quality fibre, a lot of people assume that is a price premium. Is there any, I guess, update in the quarterly about RWS premiums?
2: There's a good update in there, Ethan, and um, it's interesting that uh, with with RWS, um, you know, the, I think almost half the world's merino is now credited under RWS, but in Australia our volumes have gone up from 5% last season to 6.7% this year. Uh, you know, the big producers are South Africa, um, Argentina, uh, Uruguay, that, in terms of percentage of their of their clip. And the other thing that's happened is that the price premiums we were reporting two years ago have really softened off. And, and as a, the question's asked uh, in the report quite fairly, I think, is that because... You know, the demand isn't there. Is it because the buyer suddenly realized, well, they don't have to pay that much for it. The wool's coming anyway. Or what is it? And uh, or has, um, you know, has demand just sort of softened for that product? Probably, as as you stated in your report, Ethan, it's probably a combination of all those. But it has just taken a bit of the shine off that um, premium market now.
0: So thanks for listening to the Macado Quarterly Report Summary. Again, to access the report, please reach out to us via email on ask at mercado.com.au. And in the meantime, thanks again for listening to Commodity Conversations.